just in my small world since I started, there's seven family dairies that have that have gone out. So just in this little little pocket that I'm in. So and I, I worked with all of them. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I found out about this week's guest by following the work of a documentary photographer out of the Seattle area. The photographer said his time documenting this farm changed his life and his perspective on food and farming. His name was Matthew Kennelly, and the project, if you want to look it up, was called In the Blood at fortvanity.com. The farmer, I had to talk with him, Andrew Albert is his name, and today we get to know him on his farm, right in the shop where I remember some of those moving photos being taken. Andrew Albert, Andrew's Hay, near Arlington, Washington, Check it out here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and this is documenting my continuing journey to get to know the real people behind our food in Washington. So I found out about your farm, seeing you in this, these incredible photos that this photographer had been doing, following like a documentary photographer here on your farm. Yep. So now that I'm here for the first time, visiting the farm it's like oh like i feel like i've been here before yeah 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 right here we spent a lot of time with matt talk about the images that matt captured and how that showed what real life is like on your farm um because he spent you know he would come out just randomly over two years sometimes every day in a week or sometimes every few weeks he'd come out for a day uh, yeah. i felt like he really captured the different seasons and the different emotions that we go through and you know a little less pressure in the fall or in the in the winter time, and then the, the building pressure in spring, and all the different things that we have to get done, and summertime with breakdowns and employees, and I mean he was there for it all, <laughs> and it was like it was really hard for me sometimes to uh, I don't know how to keep it under control. Like sometimes you know you just want to blow up when something happens, yeah. and I'd be like all right, I'm on camera, you know? <laughs> I got to keep it under control. Like and uh, but he did capture it, especially the stress. I mean, some of the stuff, and then the captions he did, and and he could really put his finger on every guy I had and my family. And um, I was telling you, he made a video like a slideshow with music, and every time I watch it, I tear up. It's yeah. just like, uh, yeah, he did an incredible job. Well, I just know for me looking at it, I didn't know you folks from Adam at that point. Mm -hmm. That was my first exposure to you know Andrew Albert and mm -hmm. Andrews Hay. Yep. And I had just found out about his stuff, too, as an artist. But as I was looking through the photos, I'm like, these look like National Geographic. Yep. But they capture the reality of farming as a farm kid. Yep. I, I could see they captured that reality like I had never seen before. And that's the, that's the stuff that's hard to capture even here on this podcast. Yep. Talking with people. Because that, that is so much of farming. I mean, we talk about the food and the, you know, the successes that people have, you know, sometimes the failures, but that day-to-day, -day, like, this broke. We got to fix that. Mm. We got to arrange this. Oh, you know, now it started raining. Now, so, yep. that's farming. Yeah. And that's so hard to capture. And I let him in because he was always nervous that he'd overstep his bounds. And I said, yeah. you, you can be wherever you want, wherever you want. And he's, he said, well, I'll just be a fly on the wall. I said, I... You have full reign, whatever you want That's to awesome. do. And he didn't want us to, he wanted it natural. He didn't want it um, like rehearsed or posed or anything. Yep. Like he'd yep. only take pictures. It was actual action. Like we didn't even know he was, what he was taking pictures of or what he was doing or what he was going to write. He was yeah. just 
there riding along and uh, once in a while we'd even say hey can you move this tractor over there can you follow us in this pickup and so <laughs> well because that's farming too yeah, it's I like, know, ah, like we're short a person how do we exactly hey you know run this over here yeah we'll yeah. pick you up yeah no it was a great time i really enjoyed doing that with him so seeing what you do in photos like that what does that make you think about all the work that you put in to grow food yeah and really you grow food for other food too with yeah, hay, yeah, I mean, yeah. feeding animals that then produce food i mean it just goes it's just i look back at you know and i can see my jawline in a lot of those pictures and i know i was it was just so so yeah so stressful and and he and he would see it and he would write about it and just the hours and you know and but then you know there's a lot of uh happy photos like yeah. we have one in the shop that everyone likes of all of my crew and i'm holding my newborn in my my arms and we're yeah. looking at this tractor that the transmission had gone up that's in a million pieces <laughs> and all of us are just even even reese is just staring intently at this thing we're trying to figure out what we're going to do and you know everybody really yeah. likes that photo i didn't even know he took it you know so um so I real I just enjoyed that I I I like that you know real life you know yeah. fly on the wall pictures like not rehearsed not yeah. you know well that's, that's what this podcast is about yeah, too yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. no rehearsal no, here no, we just start absolutely. going yep exactly probably some people said well why is there such a little kid like that in a shop like that that looks like a scary dirty place oh yeah well that's how I was raised that's though. how that's <laughs> how I was raised too you know. <laughs> I've got into that with people before about kids out here and stuff. And, you know, you got to keep them safe. But how are they going to learn about danger if they're never exposed yeah. to it? You can't turn an 18-year-old kid loose in the world <laughs> that's been in a, you know, a bubble his entire life. Yeah. You know, you got to. So my kids from day one are out here. Yeah. We get in situations. I talk to them about it. They may not understand, but enough times of hearing about it, they're going to know, you yeah. know. So that's how it was for me. Yeah, what? I, I was driving tractor by myself at like six or seven years old, yep, me you too. know, so, yeah. so yeah. And when I was born, my folks actually lit, my dad had a shop kind of like this, not as many tools as you've got here. Um, but he, he was doing custom farming at the time. It was before he became a, a red raspberry grower. Mm -hmm. So he had, you know, a couple of tractors and implements and, you know, he was planting peas and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So he had his machine shed basically, and he built a little loft into it. Okay. So that's where my folks lived. So when I was born, they brought me home from the hospital to a shop like this. Really? I mean, it made it a little nicer. Yeah, in the yeah, loft, yeah, 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 yeah. But you go through the shop up to the... Yeah. <laughs> so literally as a brand new baby... Right onto the That's farm. what I yeah, lived yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, right in the shop. <laughs> so what do you, you grow hay? Obviously, we're seeing Andrew's hay on your shirt. Yeah, so the hay is the what I started at when I was a freshman in high school. It's an FFA project. <clears throat> and, um, you know, as as once I graduated and grew, we got into, I got into growing corn for dairies, uh, mm. wheat, and then I bailed the straw and got into doing certified weed-free straw for delivery to construction sites. Um then I got into growing spinach and Swiss chard for seed and cabbage, um, beets, um, basically anything that I thought there was an opportunity. Recently, uh, I, I have a partner on a herd of beef we, that we have a USDA label and we opened mm. a small store at my other farm and we sell uh, direct to the public USDA um, beef from all locally raised right here on our farm, fed my feed. Um, so that's kind of a new venture we're doing yeah. uh, to tie into the the hay to get to use the 
low value grass, which would be like first cutting that I can't sell for right. hay because it's too low a quality. But if we get it made early into silage with less dairies around, I had to figure out where I was going to go with this. Yeah. So I had this idea for my own cows, but I'm, I'm not an animal guy. I'm a crop farmer, but I have a good friend that is. So we we're working together and, uh, so far it's, it's going good. So, so you're able to harvest that grass. But yeah. Otherwise, I mean, what else would you do with it? Basically, I was just trading dollars, giving it to dairies for the cost of me harvesting it just so I could set up to have younger grass to cut when we got into nicer weather in June and July right. where I could actually get the hay dry. So that's what I've been doing for years. Because first cutting grass can be really good grass. But it we, is. We just don't have the weather to get it yes. dry as hay. If we, if we could make hay when Washington. it was ready to cut, it would be the best quality. But, you know, Western Washington, it's <laughs> we should be cutting hay right now. Well, we know, you know, yeah. and I mean, people that aren't farmers probably don't know, but you need you need four or five days of 75, 80 degree weather to get hay dry. And we yep. don't generally get that now. So um, Or over on the east side where they have like really low humidity yep. and 95 degree days they cut hay and then bale like the next day yep or, yep or if it doesn't work maybe the day after yep here it's yep <laughs> a constant like pulling your hair out will we get the weather window do I, we do we cut okay we cut now do we ted it do we rake it yep, do we rake that, it up and yeah. yep yep so constant and then like game. i said as, as more and more of these small dairies i was dealing with are are, are retiring or, or getting out of the business um you know, I, you know, I was thinking I, you know, eventually it's going to be where even if I want to just give this stuff away, I may not have that option. And what am I going to do? So that's how I got into that. So, so. where does most of your hay go? No, most no. of my hay goes to just within probably 25 miles of right here to mm. uh, people with horses, people with cattle, yep. sheep, alpacas, goats, just any, any animal that, that eats hay. We do uh, home delivery. Um, the majority we probably sell out of the store. Wow. Um, so... So yeah, we we sold out of this location for twenty years. Just guys working in the shop would go out and load people, and then <laughs> just about a year ago, it was May last year, we opened up this new location to try to, you know, get more exposure, more room, have a dedicated crew just to the hay was kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then with this beef opportunity, we wanted to have a place with freezers and displays, and so anyway, yeah. so that's what we did. So real local beef. Yes. Yep, you can drive out of Arlington and see them, see them raised on both sides of the highway. That's them, and so, yep. What you mentioned that you're USDA, or you have a USDA label. We've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but explain why that's important. I understand that's allows you to sell it cut by cut rather than... Yes, so normally a person would have to sell it custom, which means basically the animal is owned by the person that's going to end up with the meat before it is butchered. I mean, that's the technical rules of it. But with a USDA label, um, an inspector watches that animal from the time it's uh, uh, slaughtered all the way through to when it's packaged and frozen or or put in the freezer. And so it's saying that this is safe. We've watched it to, to sell to the public. You can buy one steak, one pound of hamburger... And the USDA is saying that it's it's all good. So, so for a lot of local beef that's grown, and I've heard some people say, yeah, I could raise more beef, but I can't get USDA certified because yes. of the availability of inspectors and facilities to yes. do that. But that that is the, the way to go really yeah, well, local e- beef. Yeah, if you want to sell it like we do, even the problem now is there's a huge market even for custom. People would buy halves, holes, quarters of beef, but there's no butchers. You know, I have a, a lot of hay customers that uh, come and ask, where do I go? You know, this guy won't do it anymore. This guy retired. It's just there's a huge hole 
in that industry that seems to be an opportunity that someone would want to yeah. fill, but there just isn't, you know? So I, I don't know. Yeah. And the only reason, and it was expensive to buy into the co-op to get access to this USDA, but that's the only way we are able to get our cows butchered. So, yeah. um, well, we've had Bobby Morrison, who at the time was at Del Fox. He's mm-hmm. now in, down at PCC. Um, and then we've had Boston Alverd back on the east side who's doing custom exempt. And we've talked with a few other people about the same issue, same story over and over. It's it's an art form, and there's not a lot of people getting into it. It's hard work. Yep. Um, and it takes a lot of practice. It has some risk involved in it because you're dealing with knives and stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. But there is, at the same time, this increasing demand. You know, what? what's going to change? Yeah. You know? I, and I, I, I think that must be why people don't want to get in. I, I would think that the, the price you could charge or the, you know, the amount of money you could make, if that's what you want, to, to, would be to the point that someone could make a really good living. But you'd have to be passionate about it, I, you know. To get in, yeah. To get in. So, and there just doesn't seem to be that that passion i guess plus you have a place have to have a place to do it yeah and i'm sure the regulation on that is just unbelievable to get through i know a guy in stanwood trying to open one and he just he can't get through the red tape you know so it's too bad because i'm not a you know laissez-faire there shouldn't be any rules obviously Mm -hmm. there needs to be rules to make sure our food is safe and everything's on the up and up yep so i get that but goodness gracious, if we can't, you know, have those rules get in the way of producing more local food. Because, I mean, again, this is what this podcast is all about is local food and the food that we produce here. And what the quality is outstanding and the carbon footprint can't get smaller. No, that's that, like I mean, with our herd. It's within five miles from where it's born to where you're buying it. You know, right. and what I don't understand why people don't see is like even this winter when the pass closed, the yeah. shelves on stores were empty. That little disruption... Yeah, of a pass just for a few days just for a few days and and yeah. you know because trucking and i was like why wouldn't they want to support something being closer so if something like that say there was a landslide and it was a month or a record snow event and they didn't have enough employees or workers or whatever yeah. something happened they couldn't and it was you know a month what is the west coast just gonna starve to death i guess i you know i mean obviously they'd probably figure out a way but wouldn't it be even simpler just to incentivize butcher shops or make it easier to do yeah. it and, and have more people growing it even if they only got a few animals it's support time. them and their family and their neighbors um which would support them and then support me by them buying hay for me i mean it's this big circle it's this yeah. big funnel of money you know when when you get into something like that instead of pushing it all out of this area because it's not a, you know appeasing to look at or the smells aren't good or it's cheaper <laughs> right. or labor issues you know well it's all of those things that are to blame when people say oh i don't want to just buy meat from the big you know big evil four companies that have a stranglehold on i mean even president biden has been talking about yep. this problem yet at the same time all the things that we're discussing on the ground level those are the reasons why yep well, it's, and and it's until those things change, you can't just magically be like, okay, oh yeah, we'll buy local, we'll support the small guy. There has to be a way to do that. And I think, you know, there isn't a, enough of the small guy right now to be able to to do that. Just because there, like we talked about, there isn't the infrastructure, the system there anymore to do it. No, and and they've the way that the. I don't even know what you call it. The environment is they it it's pushing for larger scale. If 
guys can't make a living farming like my dad milked 90 cows there there's yep. no way you could do it now you have to have that scale and that size to have yep. the buying power and be able to uh if you wanted to have a large herd if you were large enough you could probably build your own butcher shop but a guy that yep. wants to raise even half a dozen cows for his family he's not going to have that opportunity but that's what everybody wants yeah that's what everybody wants exactly but what, what do you mean it's incentivized to get big like how what what it what actually because i've heard that i've seen that myself but in your view what makes that it's just thing. it's just difficult, you know, with with labor uh, being so expensive. Yeah, you, you know, you buy. In my mind, like say you're a dairy or me a crop farmer, one tractor does. You got to have one tractor whether you're doing five acres or if if you're doing a hundred acres. Well, obviously, over the acreage, a hundred is that tractor is going to yeah. be amortized over more acres. Same right. thing with employees, you know. So the larger you get, and then it opens the door, at least for me, what I've seen is I've gotten larger to be able to afford larger, more mechanized pieces of equipment that take the labor out of it. Efficiency Um, of scale. Yep. And then instead of buying rolls of twine, instead of buying 10 rolls of twine and getting 10% off, I'm buying pallets of twine and getting 25% off, you know? So it's just, and that adds up thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, um, you, you save an extra 10% across a million dollars. Well, there's a hundred thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's why McDonald's can produce a burger so cheap versus the mom and pop shop down the road. Yep. yep. And that's, they have that buying power. I always say there's a war on farmers and it seems to be getting worse now. You know, we are hmm. villainized. You know, they say there is a state, I don't even know which legislator from down in Kirkland or something. And she said that, you know, this whole overtime thing, you know, all farmers are racist and they have a debt to society and they need to pay it back and it needs to be expensive. Her words, you can look them up. And so, you know, you're fighting against Mm. that kind of stuff. uh, And then it, everything is based. So this is my dad's words, everything to do with like milk or meat It all. He always told me it all had to do with cheapness to the consumer. They want it. It has to be cheap to the consumer. Cheap food. Cheap food. So they used to have a base plan back when my dad first started that regulated dairy industry that wouldn't let them grow, keep keep production or supply and demand in line. Well, it, the milk, they wanted it cheaper. It was getting too expensive in the government's eyes. So they deregulated everything, just let it go. So then, you know, natural, it flooded the market, price goes down. Well, yep. you gotta, you're making less per cow. So the only way to make a living is to get more cows. Well, the little guys, some farms can do it, some can the ones that don't sell out, or maybe they just don't want to deal with it. My dad, he said he was just tired of being angry, you know, yeah. so tired of it. Every, every, every turn he made, he was going to have to put it in a lagoon. He was going to have to upgrade, you know, I don't even, something in the parlor. I mean, it was just one thing after another, and he just said, I'm done with this. So Same story as you know. my, my dad's parents and my mom's parents. They were both that, set, you know, I think my dad's dad never milked more than 50 cows. Um, my mom's dad, I, a little bit more than that, probably about the same size as your dad. And they said the same thing. They're like, we just can't. And this was in the nineties. Yeah. That's they said they just cannot do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And hundreds just in Western Washington, hundreds of family, small family farms like that did the same thing in, in back then. And in the years since just, just in my small world, since I started, there's seven family dairies that have, that have gone out. So just in this little, little pocket that I'm in. So, and I, I worked with all of them, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, so, um, you know, it's crazy to me because w- less than 1% of the population of the world feed over 99%, yeah. but we take so much heat and there's so much trouble with everything, you know, like, 
you know, we got to have buffers on all this farmland because we're killing the salmon, you know, because apparently clear cuts and housing developments are better for salmon, I guess, you know, instead of the guy out there actually maintaining it. Um, you know, we can't, we can't have a uh, riprap or any, anything. We can't do any bank revetment because, um, the it's it's unnatural it'll scrape the salmon's sides so we just let acres i could probably show you 50 acres that have gone down the stilly but you go up logging as soon as it rains if you don't straw the ditches they shut the logging down because of the silt runoff you know but i don't understand it doesn't make sense right. it doesn't make sense to me you know so right. it's just it, it well not yeah so so i don't know i there's just not a lot of representation and a lot and a lot of say from the guys feeding feeding the people and the disconnect is sad because you know we're this is this is hard. I mean, if you don't love doing this, you can't do it. Because you're not doing it for the money. You know, I I do it because I grew up doing it. I'm the third generation farmer. I my childhood was was great out here. I want my boys to have the freedom that I had when I was growing up. So I was at a point before my kids were born where I was almost lost. I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I yeah. fighting this fight? all the time it's just like one thing after another and then my my oldest son was born and i had i was like uh and uh re-incentivized or i had new vigor to to yeah. have something to leave or for him to to be a part of that was worth being a part of when i grew up my dad didn't want me to be a farmer he 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 said this is too hard you're too smart you know you need to do something work in town and and, and it'd be a lot easier for you. you're going to make more money but I, I always knew this is what I wanted to do and it, you know, so that's what I did and I'm, I'm making it work. I just did it different than what he did. So, and it makes it all different when it's about the next generation. Yes. And that, isn't that really the story of family farming? What makes family farming of any size, mm -hmm. whether you have 25 acres or 2,500 acres, yep. that changes everything, right? Yep. 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 Being able to work with my dad when I was a kid was like, the best and i want my boys to be able to work with me i mean there's nothing better i mean most parents and there's nothing wrong with it you only get time with them when they're off and it's play time you know but my best times with my dad was working with him you know and learning yeah. and doing that kind of stuff and seeing what we could do together so and that's what i want to do with my boys so you talk about salmon and environmental concerns and you made that comparison between you know housing developments versus farming you yeah know, what's, what's really better for salmon mm -hmm. how do you see that difference how, how do you care for your land what, what's your perspective on stewardship uh, uh my perspective is that it is it all comes down to, to to money you know there's there's money in in being an environmentalist there's money in preserving stuff for salmon whether it actually does or not you know so they 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 talk out of the side of their mouth about oh god if we do these buffers and this and that it's going to help and everyone kind of buys into it but then you go up the road and and they they've clear cut you know 20 acres and they're putting in a strip mall you know and it's like well if you believe that doing this is really going to help wouldn't you do that on your on your own land you know well and so, what happens when i mean you talked about the buffer bill and i know that that bill specifically in this past legislative session was something that would take untold amounts, hundreds, thousands of acres of farmland out of production. 250 pro just of my ground that I farm. Of your ground. 11,000 just in Skagit County. Yeah. So we, we estimated close to 30,000 in Whatcom County, yeah. you know, and, and tons down in Southwest Washington. Mm -hmm. What becomes of the rest of the land then? Because you probably couldn't make it a, as a farm if you lost no. that much of your land. And what they don't understand too on that whole deal is if you have a, 
a piece of ground shaped in a certain way and you lose a section where there's only a hundred feet left between the two buffers, then you lose the actually more than that. And I don't see what it would actually done. I think, I think they've proven in the past, they tried this 20 years ago and that there was actually no real benefit. The real benefits are things that they're not willing to do in my mind. Well, and my, my concern would be whether it does some nominal benefit or not, if that farm goes away, yep. that strip mall that's up the road, they're going to do another one there yeah. anyway. And there may be a buffer there, but if all the other land that had been farmed is turned into housing or strip malls, yep. that's not good for the stream, even if there is a buffer. There. And, I, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned with that, and it's not important. It is, but it's just, especially when the landowners have zero input in anything to do with it, it is the real hard part. I mean, it, so... I uh, I don't I don't luckily luckily it didn't pass but I don't know about the next time you know it's going to it's just going to keep coming back so and then I don't know what to say Let's just step away from the conversation for a moment so I can thank our sponsors here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. Dairy Farmers of Washington, longtime supporter. They helped us launch this at the very beginning, and we thank them for their support. WhyDairy.org is their website. They have a super cool event coming up, a dairy farm tour in the middle of June. It's in June on June 11th, uh, 2022, in Whatcom County. They have a bunch of farmers Uh, And they want you to come celebrate local farming. I'm just checking some of the notes here. You can get behind-the-scenes experience looking at cow care, robots, and milking, seed to feed. You can find out exactly what the heck an anaerobic digester is and so much more. Again, you can go to wadairy.org for more details uh, and and plan to be at that. People from all over are coming to see real-life dairy farms here in Washington State up close and personal in June. That's June 11th. Uh, Watcom this way and make your own adventure uh, with a self-guided tour around Whatcom County Dairy Farms. Also, our sponsors uh, include uh, Mana Insurance Group, and a big thank you to them as well, helping plan uh, to protect your financial future rather than just picking up the pieces if and when things go wrong, which is how most people think about insurance. It's how I thought about insurance until I started working with the great team at Mana Insurance Group. Manainsurancegroup.com is their website. Now let's get back to our conversation in Arlington, Washington with Andrew Albert. What do you think about the whole idea of sustainability with your farm, whether it's your land or, you know, with the animals or anything like that? How do you approach that? What's sustainable about what you do? So that's how this, my plan, I was in my mind, I have this grand scheme, you know, we, first we made hay and just sold it. And, you know, so now I'm thinking, well, we can all make hay and sell it, but also feed our beef and sell the beef. And then we have the manure from the beef to use fertilizer because now we can't get fertilizer or we can, it's expensive, but they're talking, we may not be able to get it. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to have this like full circle deal like idea on the farm here i don't know how to say it and so loop yeah as they say so if if one spoke if something happens so all of a sudden no one can afford to feed horses so that market fails i have the beef herd because they're still going to want to eat so we can use that or there's a flood of beef or everyone and their brother buys cows and the beef market crashes but then everyone's raising cows so then my hay is going to be you know so i had this idea to try to make it no matter what happened that i would have some way that i could make the farm survive 
you know preparing for the worst yeah yeah so and it, so far it's working i don't you know we'll see so it's hard it's hard to plan and especially right now you know and then having you know uh you know the doe talked about yanking water rights from for water and cattle from surface water because they misinterpreted a law from 1917 well what's that about you know and then the overtime, like we had talked about earlier, they're gonna help these help these employees. Well, the thing is, is they're they're losing their jo- they're gonna lose their jobs to machines. I mean, we're <clears throat> gonna be cutting hours, you know, and trying to figure out how to do more with less, you know. So it, it really yeah. it isn't really a benefit. Um, but I don't know, people don't don't see it, they don't understand, and it's not even their fault. They just don't have access. There, there's just a huge disconnect. There's a very large disconnect between farming and society, I guess. So, so if you had to had the chance to fix that disconnect, what if you had five minutes? What what would you tell people who don't know anything about this? I, you know, I'd like to talk with these legislatures and the governor and everyone and say, you know, you should be supporting us. And I'm not saying let let farmers or ag get away with anything, but instead of everything villainizing every move we're making, you know, cow farts pollute the world and all this, they should be putting positive things out there to help get, you know, people in the community supportive of the people that are feeding them. Because we're out here doing it and, you know, we drive a tractor down the road and every other car is giving us the bird type things, you know, they're just, it, it, it's, wow. they just don't understand like a little... So that's to me, instead of everything being negative, 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 if they had some supportive things like, hey, isn't this great what what these guys are doing or these guys have done this or we're working with them, we've talked with them, but there's none of that. So so to me is what I see. So what's been the hardest thing in this whole journey so far for you? Um the sacrifice of like missing out on family events because you know, I tell everyone the farm has to come first. I, if you're going to make it farming, you have to know it's like kind of like being in the military. The farm has to come first. You got to bail hay. Somebody's getting married that day. It's sorry, you got to you got to bail hay. You know, so that's been the hardest part for me. And I, I, as I've gotten older and a better crew, just because I can afford a better crew, because I've gotten to the scale that I can pay those wages and right. justify it. It's it's better, but there's still times that you know that's. That's the hardest part. Um, once I had kids, too, before when it was just me and before I was married, I didn't. I just went for it. I didn't care if I went broke, whatever. It's just me. <laughs> it happens, happens. And then I got yeah. married and it got more serious. Now somebody else is counting on me. Then I had kids. Now it's really serious. Like I got to make sure that I don't miss a step or take too bold of a move or not bold enough of a move because – yeah. I now now there's a lot of people relying on me and I have this big crew these wonderful guys that are working for me and gals and uh um you know I just there's a lot of people counting on this farm and and you know, we're all working together and so it's just a it's a lot of pressure to to keep it all to keep it all going you know and uh stuff like like I said we keep drinking it up like that bill and the that overtime thing man it was just like a gut punch get up in the morning have a cup of coffee and read about that and I thought what the heck is going on you know out of nowhere so those kind of things really takes a while to recover from that trying to figure out how you're gonna how you're gonna get through it how you're gonna survive that so and now the fuel price and the fertilizer price is another thing that you know, every, I mean, it keeps me up to figure out what are, what are we going to do? How am I going to do this? What's the right, do we just cut it, cut fertilizer out? Do we just do a not as good a job at tillage and save fuel and just take the lower yields and just try to just get through? Or do we just same, same and figure the price will be high and yeah. it'll make up for it. I just got to weather the storm. I, I don't know. 
So yeah, talk about what's going on with fertilizer and fuel and everything right now. Uh it's it's just exponentially priced. I mean, we're we looked at the I I grow about 250 acres of wheat every year, and I got the fertilizer bill here last week, and I actually got dizzy when I looked at it because it was double, double from the year before, and the that that bill was probably 30 percent over the year before that. So I mean, it's significant. Um, so across all my acres, I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars just in fertilizer, not counting fuel and labor and all these other increased costs. So for me, I'm in a unique situation where I do do so much direct marketing. I can raise my price on some of the stuff. Right. The thing I'm worried about is that what is the limit that people can pay? What is the most someone's going to pay for a bale of hay before they say, you know what, this I can't do this. I can't, this animal isn't worth it. Um, we're just going to have to give it up. Yeah. You know, and that's that's what I'm worried about right now. So then we're trying to trim, but you're already so you know you've got everything so lean on a farm because everything is such tight margins. It's hard. So back to wheat, you know, and, and your fertilizer bill for that. It hasn't the price of wheat gone up though too? Yeah, and that's going to help a lot. That's going to help offset it a lot. The deal again here is infrastructure. We have no infrastructure in Western Washington to get it to the global market. You know, we have to truck it to Portland down to, I think, Chehalis. I'm actually going to be trucking it to Wenatchee because mm. I have been selling it locally for feed um, because w- by the time you trucked it, paid all the fees – to do into the the com, into the commodity market, it was even though you took a way lower price for feed locally, it was still better. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but this year now the price is so high, we'll go we'll go there. And I don't know how it, I've never done it, so we're going to see how that works. But um, it would be a lot better if we had a local co-op or a local place like we had years back when we were doing it yeah. at Conway with Wilbur Ellis to to get it to the to the commodity market. So yeah. so I, it's definitely going to help, but. You know, that, that market, I'm, I'm sure it's going to stay up, but you never know, you know, that's not even. And, and is it up enough to cover the increased um, costs yeah, that I, are coming along? I think it, I think it would be, I don't know how these fees, because as the price went up, you know, that's great. But then yeah. these people that are handling it, obviously their fees are going up yep. everything else. So I think it is still going to be okay. But I, since I'm new to it, yep. um, as far as going to the commodity, I've been doing it to the feed market so long. We'll see. And I have to see how much more I can get out of it as feed, too. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely, even though that high price, I'm confident there's going to be no more money. I mean, if we get this, if we have the same net off each acre as we did last year, I would consider that a win. Yeah. I, I'm just hoping to, you know, break even, you know. So just to play devil's advocate, why do you got to use that fertilizer? Why, why won't you go organic and, and not use the Well, I don't, I don't know if you want to hear this, but if the if every farmer in the world turned over to farming organically, half the people in the world would starve to death. Yields are lower. Um, without fertilizer, yields are much lower. Um, you know, if you want to go for organic, you got a lot more weed pressure. And I'm not saying there's anything against that. It's, there's yep. a place for everything, but you need one to have the other. Yeah. You know, and... Um, so well, and you would need more cow. Poop. More, more, yes. So right? to replace I mean, that commercial fertilizer, <laughs> the only other way is is manure from whatever animal, chickens, yeah. cows, whatever you want. Would you have enough from what you do? No, not 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 just for me. The only reason I have a chance is I work with a local dairy, a very large dairy that that mm-hmm. buys that wheat for feed, that buys my corn silage, and he needs. 
um, acres to put his manure on to have the number of cows he has. So we have a partnership where I yeah. he exports manure to me. I use it on my ground, and then he buys the crops, the corn, or you know what I grow for him from me. So, so that's another unique situation. I have just relationships I've built over the years with yeah. people. So yeah, exactly. one thing I was just talking with somebody else about the other day is you know as this farming population dwindles, this this, this, this knowledge is not being passed down. Um, I often wonder, and I don't know if we'll ever get there, but when do we reach critical mass where there isn't enough people and people come to the realization, you know what? Yeah, the, the, the supply chain is not right. We're importing all this beef from Brazil or Argentina or wherever, milk from New Zealand, wherever we get it. And we want to bring it home. And, I, you know, it's not, I don't remember who was running for president said, oh, you just drop a seed in the ground and it grows. It's easy. You know, well, I don't know. It ain't, it, that is far, far from the truth. You know, so I don't know if we wanted to rebound, if we don't start looking at that um, to incentivize generational farms and, and fathers telling their sons, I want you to stay on the farm instead. I want you to get off the farm because there's no future. When is that knowledge going to be gone? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, you know. And how would we get it back? I mean, it's not. So I, you know, I was a straight A student, 4.0. I went to college one semester. It was not for me. I was, I wanted to work. I wanted to get out. So I wouldn't say I have a higher education, but I learned more just doing it and being involved with older people, older, my dad, my father-in-law, I grew up crop propping with my uncle. I have a friend across the freeway I still work with. I learned more from those, that older generation about what I'm doing than from any book or any, any, anything you could possibly do. So when those guys are gone, you know, how do you, I mean, so that's something I think about all the time and that's how come I want my boys to be a part of it because I feel like as this goes and there's more or less and less people with that knowledge that that knowledge is going to become more and more valuable. And so, and I don't know if they will, I hope they choose to be a part of the farm, but I'm definitely going to teach them everything that I can about being here. So you've talked about your dad, Mm -hmm. dairy farming. Yep. What is the history of your family? So my farming, how far back does it go? Uh, well, my, my, my family came from Switzerland, uh, both my, both of my grandparents on, on the Albert side. And, uh, I've actually been to the original Albert dairy in Switzerland and I had one of my cousins come and work on the farm in 2018. But anyway, they came as kids and, uh, I don't even know, let's see, it would have been in the late teens and, uh, moved around, met down in Auburn, got married, bought this place in 1953 and my, my grandpa wanted to be a crop farmer, but it, the money was too inconsistent. And so he ended up going into dairy because there was a consistent milk check. And you yeah. can make money doing it. And he built it up. And uh, I think in the mid-70s, my, my dad kind of tried dairying with my uncle right out of high school. Ended up not being for him. So he went and drove truck. And uh, my other uncle that, my, uh, that married my, my, my dad's sister, he dairied here. And he, uh, that's who I grew up crop farming with. So ba- my dad started dairying again in the early 80s. I was born I till I was 11. We, he was a dairy out here. He went back to town, went to school, got a job. He built uh, control panels for wastewater and freshwater treatment plants. And my Uncle Elwin took the farm over. So I was out here every day crop farming with my Uncle Elwin. I was his right-hand man. So, um, that's so this r- farm right here is right, where you grew up right. and where your dad yep. did? Yep. Wow. My uncles farmed here. So... Then how I told just briefly how I got started. Freshman summer, last day of school, one of my buddies comes up and says, hey, Van, our ag teacher who still works for me, he retired and now he helps me. 
Uh, he says, Van says we can take your dad's equipment and go down and make hay on the school farm. I was like, oh, yeah. So my dad says, absolutely not. You know, I don't want you going down there. You guys are going to get in a mess, blah, blah, blah. So he goes out of town. So we jump on his tractor and we take it down there and we start, we start mowing. So Were you we, sweating that maybe something might break and you uh, get in trouble? You know, I was young. I was 15 or 14. I didn't. I, we just went for it. You know, we were kids. So yeah. we we're down there mowing and we get it tetted. And yeah, we bit off more than we can chew. So my dad comes back. And he's not really mad. And so him and my, my uncle who you met, Gary, and then my other uncle who's here, Max, and my friend and I, we bailed this hay all together and loaded it on a car trailer, 100 bales at a time, and hauled it back <laughs> here and put it up. And it just took forever, and it was hot, and we were sweating. But I thought it was great. And we put it in the barn, and me and my buddy sold it all winter. And we, were, we had lots of money for a couple of high school kids you yeah. know, selling this hay. And then so ever since then, I've, I've made hay every year. So then the next year... Uh, I think I was 16 or 17 years old. There was a piece of ground that had been sitting, and my I was too shy to go talk to the owner, so my dad went with me, and uh, his name was Dan Grew, and he I just said, and my dad said, hey, this is my son Andrew, you know, he wants to talk to you, and I said, I'd like to rent this 12 acres from you and start farming, and that, that was, I was uh, a sophomore, I think, in high school, so I rented, <laughs> that was my first piece of ground, and I've wow. been just renting more and more since since then, just building <laughs> this business, you know, all the way since then. So I've been doing it. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but it's been a long time. So, yeah. And there is something about it that you love, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just I can the tell. freedom. It's, it's, all, it's all on me, whether it, 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 it makes it or not. I mean, there's obviously outside weather and government and all these other things, but really it's my decisions that make or break it. So, yeah. And, that you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You know, it's great. If you make great decisions, but then if you don't, you know, yeah. so, totally. um, and then I love working with a crew of guys that like to work. I've always had guys that enjoy work and like to work. And so I enjoy that. And yeah. And now with my kids, it's even better. So seeing them, um, want to go in the tractor and the trucks and see what we're doing that that's, that's really awesome. So, so if people want to find out more about what you do and specifically where they can get your beef, where do they go? Uh, you can go to our website. It, it's stillyselectbeef.com. Or, Stilly Select? Uh, yep, stillyselectbeef.com. From the Stilliguamish River? Yep, yeah. the Stilly Valley. Nice. Yep, and then there's uh, andrews-hay.com is the, is the hay website. So awesome. And they both will take you to the same spot. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to have you come out and check out what we got and talk to us. And, yeah, we love talking to people and, and say what we're doing and show them the cows or, yeah. So... Thanks for having me out here to the farm. Yeah. Right yeah. here in the shop. Yeah, anytime. I love it. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 